Good morning. That was weak again. Good morning. There we go. Uh, this is uh, welcome to 11 o'clock service. Uh, as Derek said, my name is Kyle. I'm the children and youth guy here at, uh, at CCB. Uh, this is my second time this morning. Uh, after our first service, this, this girl who's really sweet, but I uh, thought it was pretty funny. She came up and she said, you are getting so much better than the first time you preached at CCB. <laughs> I thought I'd take that as a compliment. Uh, but I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, welcome to the third week of Easter. Uh, if you've been around uh, CCB the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea that Easter isn't just this one holiday where we come and we celebrate and uh, we, we pack out the church and then for the next six, eight weeks we kind of go on and talk about something else. And uh, Easter is this season for us to sit and meditate on and reflect what the resurrection really means for us. And it's supposed to be a, a happy season. Uh, this guy N.T. Wright says, this is the time to break out the best bottle of wine, have your friends over, and let's celebrate. Because sometimes as Christians, we get too caught up on the, on the sad and the, the dreary, and we forget to celebrate. And if the gospel is any news, it's good news. Um, and so this is a time for us as a church to just to, to see the beauty in the resurrection, uh, to realize that the resurrection isn't just an event that happened. Uh, the resurrection isn't just something we believe in. It's something that changes us and that God promises will change the world if we allow it to. And so for the next three weeks and then the last three weeks, so six weeks total, we're walking through this book called First John. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn the page numbers there if you're using one of our church Bibles. It's towards the end of the Bible. It's a very small book. Uh, it's very easy to miss, so don't feel bad if you miss it a couple times. Uh, but we're walking through this book, and First John is written to give us a picture of what do we do next. Um, sure, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I can believe that. Some of you in this room, hopefully most of you in this room, believe that. If not, that's okay. Uh, we still are glad you're here. Uh, but if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, what is the next step? Uh, what does that mean for us? How does it really affect how I live my life, how I interact with the people around me, uh, what is the goal of Christianity? And in 1 John, his letter is written to address that very question. Now, if you're here the last couple of weeks, how many people are here the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we got a few. Uh, Derek has, has walked us through these first two looks into 1 John, and we began with the very dreary topic of sin. Derek told me he was very excited to preach on sin. Uh, it's a very easy thing to talk about. It's not. Uh, but we, talk, we entered into this book through the gates of confession. I believe wholeheartedly that we cannot understand how great our Savior is until we understand how great our sin is. And if we don't understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior, then what Jesus truly accomplished for us at the cross and through the resurrection means little to nothing. But if we can capture the fact that we are broken people, myself included and everyone in this room, we are broken and we need God to rescue us, then what Jesus did meant everything to us. The Bible says that we are sinful from birth, and this, and this idea that we were born into a very difficult world. Uh, and I know I've struggled to make the right decision most of my life. It's like I can try and try, but it seems like every corner I turn, you just do something, and you're like, why did I do that? That just wasn't healthy. Does, any, does that ring true for anyone else in the room? I hope so. But we, we discussed that two weeks ago and just walked away feeling like we were truly in need of rescue. And then we moved last week 
and Derek talked this much happier sermon. We talked about adoption and being called children of God and how God truly chose us, picked us out of that life, that the world that was broken and ruined and that was leading towards destruction. And God chose to pull us out of that and say, you're now my children. You're now my child. He gave us a new name. He forgave everything from the past and our mistakes. And he said, now you are to live as I would live. And there's this line Derek used last week, and I said it at the end of the service. Uh, But there have been plenty of unplanned pregnancies. There's never been an unplanned adoption. And the intentionality behind what God did through Jesus at the cross means everything to us because it was no mistake that God chose you. It was no mistake that God chose to come and live and die. And the story of the gospel is for you with all your faults. And so today we're moving forward into 1 John, and the message of 1 John centers around the idea that the ultimate goal of the Christian is one of love and of service. And John is writing this letter to a group of people. Derek's talked about it a little bit. You see it on the screen. Uh, This idea that came into the church, we're going to give a little history lesson. Don't fall asleep, please. Uh, But Gnosticism is this this thing that started pervading the church very early on. Uh, You see it in the late first century, early second century. Uh, And it comes from this word gnosis. It's a Greek word. Can everyone say gnosis? Gnosis. You don't pronounce the G. Uh, It's not gnosis. Uh, But it, it basically means to know. Uh, it's just the Greek word for to know. Um, and the Gnostics began preaching this message that the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to study, is to f- figure out what you believe, and ultimately God will grant you this knowledge, the superior knowledge, and you can live a life free of sin through studying and through prayer and through seeking out God. He'll, he will give you that grace where you will no longer sin. And I don't know about you, but that's never happened to me. Anybody else know? Uh, and so what the Gnostics are basically preaching is that there's a broken world out there, but your goal as a Christian is to escape it, to run away from it, to seek God and turn your back on those people, and he will bless you, and he will give you this, this mysterious knowledge. And what it turned into was there was a group of Christians that believed they had gotten that, and there's a group of Christians that thought they'd missed the mark. And the gospel wasn't about following Jesus and believing in Jesus. It was how smart can we be? And if you're not to that level, you're not truly a Christian. And John writes his letter to these people struggling with that very idea. And he starts it off, if you heard us when we were reading it through earlier, there are three different times John says, this is how we know. And if you don't hear the sarcasm in that, slightly pointed at the Gnostics saying, Oh, you're saying that there's this knowledge, this superior knowledge is where we're going? No, this is how you know what love is. This is how you know you belong. This is how you know God lives in you. So let's jump into the text. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 16. John writes, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and truth. John begins this message with reminding us, what is truly love? Is love this thing we think about and we pray about and we hope that happens in the world? No. Love is the physical action of Jesus coming and dying. 
laying down his life for us, setting aside his personal hopes and fears for the sake of us, for the sake of others that are hurting. And he says, as Christians, that's what we ought to be about. As Christians, we're not supposed to be about just trying to gain this next level of spiritual maturity, although that's important. Our ultimate goal as Christians is to seek out those that are hurting, seek out those that are struggling, and lay ourselves aside. Now, the problem with this is that we've all heard this a million times, right? If you've been in church, at least, you've heard that, you know, you're supposed to love people, you're supposed to love your neighbors. Uh, And the ultimate message of Jesus going to the cross falls silent to us because how many people in this room want to die? Nobody? Hopefully no one raises their hand. And God's a God of life, so his message can't be the only way to truly follow Jesus is to sacrifice your life uh, because then we're, we're all going to miss that mark, I assume. Uh, I think what, God is, what John is saying here is that we are called to set aside ourselves as the way Jesus did the word laid down your life is this Greek word, and he, John uses it in the gospel for when Jesus physically takes off his robe one day and sets it aside. And it's this idea of taking off who you are and what you want, setting it aside, and seeking out other people. And I think we can do that. Now, when I began working on the sermon, I wanted to share story after story of people I knew who did this. You know, like the, the greats of the Christian faith, the Mother Teresa's that— moved to India and, and gave up everything to live amongst the poor, the Martin Luther Kings who sacrificed everything for the sake of civil rights and the, and the, the movement of our country in that direction, the William Wilberforces, who if you haven't heard of his story, it's a fantastic story. Uh, he's from London, uh, Janet's home country, and, uh, and he was in the 1700s, and he actually fought his whole life to end uh, the slave trade. And there's this great book called Amazing Grace. There's a movie made after it. You should read it. Um, but I realized something when I thought about that, is that so often we hear those stories and they sound great, uh, but what does that mean for you? You who work your nine to five, you come home to your family, uh, you watch a little television, you go to sleep, you play some golf on the weekend, which is great. Um, but what, how, how does that translate into your life? How are you supposed to live out this calling of how, setting yourself aside, uh, loving other people, as C.S. Lewis puts it, and you'll see it on the screen, he said, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, <laughs> exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may just be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. And I know I've caught myself in that, that, that world so often of, yeah, I love people, but I can't name to you any person that I'm seeking to love even when it's hard. And so the call for us as Christians, and John is writing this, the ultimate goal is how can we set ourselves aside in our daily life and look around us and have our eyes open to the people that are hurting, the people that need to see the resurrection? Because they're out there. Following Jesus does not require some grand gesture from each of us, although some people end up following God's call in that very direction. If you've been around CCB, there are so many stories of people where God has impacted their life and they've done crazy, incredible things to to follow that call. But for many of us, God is saying, in your own life, how you live, seek to look out, 
side yourself and look for people that are hurting that need to see the grace that I have shown you and show it to them. Look at verse 18. I love this verse. John starts off by reminding us that we are children of God. Dear children, that's not a, that's not a put down. He's reminding us, hey, you're called to be children of God. He says, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and in truth. It's almost like God, John is saying, put your money where your mouth is. Like you can talk about love all you want, but do it. Who are you loving? What is most threatening to Christianity is that Christians keep talking about love, the importance of loving your neighbors, while turning hatefully away from those around us, ignoring their needs. So often we can fall into this routine of coming to Bible study after Bible study and, and, and worship, and all those things are great, don't get me wrong, but if, if our whole Christian walk is just, what can I get, how can I grow, what can I do, and we forget about those around us, the gospel loses all its power. Because Jesus came for us. He came to pour himself out for us. This is how we know that we're living as God would have us to live if, it's, if, if we are loving the people around us as Christ has loved us. Now John does something interesting here. Read along with me, starting in verse 19. He turns the focus inward suddenly. He says, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. That phrase, whenever our hearts condemn us, it's an interesting phrase. When I think of condemnation, you usually think of a judge or a father you know, judging you or condemning you for something you've done wrong. Or even God, maybe some of you see that, your relationship with God as he condemns you when you sin. But John is saying, no, our hearts, our own inner being sometimes can condemn us. And ultimately, he's saying, Christ has forgiven you. But so often, we, can, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Has anyone ever felt that? I know I have. Like, we look at our life, and sure, it sounds great that God forgives you, that he offers grace to those who are hurting, but I know what I've done. We all know what we've done. And it's hard. It's hard to accept that. Turn with me over to Psalm 103. Uh, The page number is on the screen. It's page 421. This is one of the most powerful verses uh, that I've read, especially in the Psalms. Starting in verse 11. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far, he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. I remember when I first learned about God being all-knowing. In Bible college, we had this word omniscient, which is just a big word that we use in college that doesn't really mean a lot to most people. But God, this all-knowing being, and I remember thinking, that's terrifying. Like, you know, when I would come and, and I'd do something wrong and I'd confess to my mom, there was always that, like, little bit that you didn't tell. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you would say almost everything, but you still held on to this thing, I don't want my mom to know about that. Uh, 
And, and when I started realizing, no, God knows that, like that was terrifying. Like, God knows everything. Oh my gosh. Right? But then you read this verse. And God's omniscience, his, his all-knowing nature, it's, it's actually more of a comfort. Because if God knew everything about you, yet he still chose you. God has truly forgiven your sins. There is nothing that we can hide from God, and that is a blessing, not a curse. Because God has forgiven you. And I'm certain there's people in this room that struggle accepting this, because I know I've been there, and I'll be there again, I'm sure. Maybe you've done things, or lots of things, or a lot, a lot of things in your past that you're just not ashamed of, and you have trouble accepting God's grace, even though he's given it to you and said, you are forgiven. I don't think I can say this enough. God has forgiven you. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant that. His sacrifice was good enough for, no, for whatever you have done. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. If you're here on Easter Sunday, uh, we had some baptisms over here. There's, the water's still actually warm. So if anybody needs to get baptized today, we're ready. We just actually were out of town and never drained it. But if you were here, uh, we did these baptisms, and, and I got to be a part, and it was it's fantastic. Our, the parents baptized. We had six uh, kids from fourth to sixth grade get baptized. And, uh, and we led this class, this baptism class, and teaching kids fourth, fifth, sixth grade uh, this truth about Jesus and what it means and why we should get baptized is one of the most fun things I've done all year. Like it was, we had a blast with it. Uh, kids are so honest, you know, they're great. And, uh, and walking through these, these classes, uh, I was blown away with how much they understood. Before we started the class, a couple of the parents came up to me a little bit concerned that maybe— uh, this is a little bit heavy of a topic for a fifth grader, right? Like sin. How do you understand what sin is? That's fifth grade. And I, and I assure them, I was like, I promise you, if they can do math, they can understand that they're, they've done bad things, right? Um, and so we got to the class, and I asked them, I said, have you ever sinned? Do you think you've ever sinned? And immediately, oh yeah, I've sinned. Like a little bit too happy sometimes, right? You know? <laughs> and so I said, okay, well tell me, what, what have you done wrong? And one of them says, well, I, I lied to my parents once. And I thought that was remarkable because their mom's sitting right there, you know. And I was like, wow, that's brave. Uh, <laughs> and then another kid says, well, I, I've snuck out when I, I was supposed to be in bed. I snuck out and played video games until two in the morning. And once again, I'm like, oh, stop telling your mom that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, but I was blown away. They understood at such a young age that they are not perfect. And even more so when we began to talk about forgiveness. And I said, when you, when you, believe in Jesus, and when you accept him, God forgives you of your sins. There's not a person in that room that questioned it. They all understood it. They said, okay. Like, God is big. God is God. I can believe that. God forgave me of my sins. What's next? So what do we do, right? Um, and I think sometimes when Jesus says our faith is to be like a child, he's speaking to that very truth of we need to accept it. When God says he has forgiven you, he has forgiven you, and a child can accept that, but so often we can't. So we put conditions on it. We say, well, he, he can forgive that, but he, he won't forgive that part of me. And Jesus is saying, do not let your heart condemn you. And when it does, trust that God is bigger than your heart. I think John understood that 
before we can ever take seriously the call to serve, the call to live a self-sacrificial life, we have to have felt and understood the grace of God in our own. Because if we don't understand God's grace and we don't truly believe that we are forgiven, we're never going to be able to go out to a world that is hurting and truly love them the way that God would have us to love them. And so John reminds us of this. Do not let your hearts condemn you. Trust that God has forgiven you. If you can accept God's grace in your life, and if that grace will compel you to live like Jesus, putting yourself aside to love those around you, you are directly in God's will. And that's the beauty of this, is that there's nothing more to gain. The Christian life is that, is of, of accepting the fact that Jesus has forgiven you and living your life in a manner that reflects that. There's no further teaching. You can go to a million Bible studies, but you're not going to get any more than that, because that's all we need. God did not send Jesus to start a new way of thinking. If he did, it would have failed, because there's been plenty of philosophies throughout history that did not last. God started a movement, a restorative restorative movement of resurrection, beginning with his own life and, and doing it in our lives as well. And he wants us to continue that, to move forward, extending grace and hope to those around you. I said at the, the top of the sermon that our goal as a staff through this First John look is to answer the sort of so what question of the resurrection. Like, what does that really mean? And I believe this answers this question. Like, what, why do you need to live differently? Well, you are a child of God. You've been forgiven, so live. Well, how do we do that? Well, you love your neighbors. I moved into this house uh, a few months ago. Sorry, I'm tangled up here. Uh, moved into a house. I was living in the basement of a family from our church, which was terrible. I mean, that, they were great, but I felt bad, right? Uh, you feel bad when you're 26 years old and you're living in someone's basement, and it's, it's not great. But I, I moved out. I got my own place and uh, found this house, and there's three units in the house. And uh, really quickly, I got to know my neighbors, and I remember feeling this, like, desire to sort of hold myself up, like, to not get involved in their life. Like, I mean, they're their own people. I don't want to be nosy. I don't want to be, like, that guy. And so I, I just did my own thing. Well, then the more and more I got to know them and started talking to them, I started seeing very quickly that God was calling me to, to love them. And sometimes loving means getting out of your room, talking, asking questions, figuring out what is going on in their life and how can God bring grace and truth into that area. And pretty quickly I found out that they need grace and truth just as much as we all do. It doesn't take much. And if you have neighbors and you have friends that you've listened to, you've seen the same thing. There's six point something billion people in the world, and every one of them needs grace and needs God's love. So if there's that many people in the world, there's probably some are in your life as well. And so our call as Christians, our call this morning is to, first off, accept God's grace in your life. Leave your baggage, your past at the foot of the cross, and trust that God has truly forgiven you. As, as far as the east is from the west, and if you look at a map, that's a long way. <laughs> that's how far God has removed your sins, your past, your struggles, your baggage from you. Let go of it and allow God's grace to tra- change your life. And going forward, live a life of service, of love, of compassion for those around you. Like, how powerful would it be if we as a community, we as a church, began to, to very intentionally live out that calling. 
to where every one of us is looking around to the people that we know and seeking to bring God's grace and truth into that. There's a quote I want to show. Uh, This is from the fourth century. This is a guy who wasn't a Christian looking at the early church and was confused at how the early church was doing everything they can to help people. And he says, atheism, which is Christianity in his mind, because he believed that Christians did not believe in a God. He said, Christianity has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through the care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not one single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain hope for the help that we should render them. That is the beauty of the gospel, is that a world that is hurting can see us as followers of Jesus and see the resurrection in us. Can see that in our communities, there's no need. The people that we know, we are, we are meeting that need and serving and loving as Jesus would, laying down our own hopes and ideals. As we move forward, we're going to have a time of communion. And I challenge you this morning to, as you take communion, we have it here and in the back. You remember what Christ has done for you, and that God has called you a new person, has offered grace to you. You are now a child of God, and he has forgiven you. Do not forget that. And when your hearts condemn you, and you're reminded of the past and the mistakes you've made, Remember that God is bigger than your hearts. And if God says it is finished, it is truly finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I just thank you, first and foremost, for what you have done for us in the person of Jesus. And the message that sends to us of of hope, of resurrection, of, of life going forward, that the world has changed, that it's not the same as it was before. And our lives are to be focused on that truth, God. God, help us to see those around us that are hurting, see those around us that don't understand what grace really is, and offer that grace to them, God. Help us to be a people of resurrection. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.